I am glad that you're here tonight. I hope you're having a uh, I hope you're having a great week. We're enjoying this cooler weather. I wish I had a statistic on this. I, I I've been thinking about this all day today. I wonder how many car accidents happen because people are looking at a car accident that just happened. Have you ever noticed like you're driving down the road and you, the traffic is completely stopped because the people won't stop looking at whatever has just gone on. I think the million, I think we could fund the church's budget with the, if, if someone would just come up with a channel and all you could, you just, anytime you wanted to, 24 hours a day, you could just look at, look at pictures and just watch video and all it would be was still shots of fender benders on the side of the road. And that way everybody could just watch that over and over and over again. I, I don't know what people's fascination is, but, but I, I guess last night I uh, understood it a little bit. Do you ever, are you ever watching something and you recognize in your mind, I need, this is not good. I need to quit watching this. This is not beneficial to me. I am, as many of you know, I am a hardcore University of Southern Mississippi fan. And I am watching this last night, and it is a complete, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. And so it is over before it's gotten started. They're getting beat to death. And so I am have running commentary. I'm sitting in my recliner just on and on and on. And, my, and so my wife says, she said, why don't you turn the channel? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this. So I'm, I, during the commercials, I'd push previous and go back and forth between the Phillies game and, and, and that. And I'm going back and forth and watching it. And I'm watching it at the end. And I'm talking about it's 55 to 3. And I'm still watching this game. And she is, she is looking at me going, this is ridiculous. Like, turn, turn this off. And sometimes you recognize that it's absolutely just beyond the point of being even able, but we want to keep watching it anyway. I have no idea what is wrong with the human mind. I have no idea why we're sometimes drawn to that. But one of the reasons I love Wednesday night church is, is that we need a time during the middle of the week to come back and to get refocused and to recharge and to be around the people of God and to be immersed in the Word of God and taught the Word of God. So it is really, really an important thing for us to be here and to be able to be a part of that. So I'm glad that you're here tonight. If you've got your Bibles, would you take them and open them with me to John chapter 14? John chapter 14 specifically tonight, we're going to be in verses 16 through 27. John 14, 16 through 27. And so we've got Chris up there now. I'm glad he could turn it off because if not, uh, we're going to let him and Brian do a duet if there's power in his name. So I'm thankful that they were able to get that. Uh, appreciate that. We're in John 14 tonight. And tonight, uh, as we were walking through knowing God, we're in chapter six tonight. And we're going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. We have been talking about the doctrine of the Trinity uh, we talked about the Incarnation, and now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I find it interesting, and I'm glad, so glad that many of you are reading this book. In fact, I've gotten some really good questions. Um, one of the questions that I got this past week, uh, and, and it, I'm glad, I, some, I'm sometimes I, I noticed when I was teaching, um, one of the things I learned was if, if a student asks a question, there's normally a chance that there's more people that have the same question. 
Not always, because people say there's no such thing as a stupid question. There is absolutely such thing as a stupid question. But sometimes people ask questions, you go, okay, I, that's, that, that definitely is a good question. I want to make sure people know. When I ask you to open the Bible and turn to a specific passage, I am 100% in faith that that is authoritative and infallible and inspired. When we walk through other books, I am not telling you that every word of it that you necessarily are going to agree with. There may be some things that you take exception. When it's written by a human author, people come from different vantage points. Now, I would not give you a book if, by and large, I did not think theologically it was on point. And I think this book is absolutely on point. But if you come to a, something and you say, well, I'm not sure about that, that's okay. I think sometimes we need to read things that push us or challenge us. And sometimes we go, well, let me, let me think through that. So, so as we walk through this, the, the first thing that we want to talk about, I think it's interesting because of when this book was originally written and published um, and where Packer is in, in his tradition versus what we're experiencing now, I actually think that one of his presuppositions to the chapter on the Holy Spirit, I would disagree with based on our current environment. Because he asks, ask, is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit neglected? And his take is that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is totally neglected. That people talk about the Father and they talk about the Son, but that people could go through their whole lives and never hear about the Holy Spirit. Um, I understand that in some Protestant traditions that the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has not been taught enough. I believe that with all of my heart that we need to have a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. But one of the reasons I believe we need to have a better understanding in our day is because it's not that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has been neglected. It's that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in our day is now so misused because the Holy Spirit is talked about in a way that the Holy Spirit was never meant to be talked about. Now, foundationally to this, let me tell you what I mean. There are three persons of the Trinity one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Son. Son is just as much God as the Father. Father is just as much God as the Holy Spirit, period. That being said, they each have roles. And if you had to name one role of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role was to magnify Christ. So in any denomination where the role of the Holy Spirit supplants the role of Christ, there is a misunderstanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity because not only is the Holy Spirit submissive to the Father, the Holy Spirit is also submissive to the Son, and all throughout the New Testament, the role of the Holy Spirit was to exalt, magnify, and point people towards the person and work of Jesus, which is exactly why when Jesus says that there's only one unpardonable sin, it is what? Is it blaspheming the Father? Is it blaspheming the Son? No, it's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. How do you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You call the Holy Spirit a liar. What is the Holy Spirit's message? The Holy Spirit's message is, who is the person of Jesus Christ? So the Spirit's role and testimony is to testify to the person and work of Christ, who Jesus is. The only way to die the unpardonable sin is to die with out accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because the role of the Holy Spirit is to testify to that. So for me to die in my sins is to die calling the Holy Spirit a liar, hence I have blasphemed him. 
if you are worried about whether or not you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I hope that takes some pressure off some people. And the reason I know that is the only person that has blasphemed the Holy Spirit cares not anymore of the things of God. They have no care or conviction in their life over that. So though Packer argues for most of the chapter that we have been, that, that the, the Holy Spirit has been underrepresented, I believe that the Holy Spirit often has been talked about in way so often that he has been misdefined. And so understanding what is the role of the Holy Spirit is going to be um, part of our task tonight. That's a big task in a short amount of time, but, but we're going to do our very best. And, and, and I, we're going to start with the Word of God in John chapter 14, and, and we're going to begin reading in verse 16, and we're going to read from verse 16, we're going to read there to verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to follow along with me. Jesus is speaking. This would be in red letters if you have a red letter Bible. And it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And Judas Iscariot said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching, and these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. One of the most powerful and comforting of scriptures you will find in the New Testament, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling his disciples privately, I'm going to leave. Jesus did leave the earth. We know that, that he died, he rose from the grave 40 days, then he ascended. After he ascended, you'll remember in the New Testament what takes place. The disciples were told to go to Jerusalem and to wait there. And while they waited there, what we know took place was that the celebration of Pentecost came. At Pentecost, we know that tongues of fire came down and the disciples began to preach. And they began to preach using the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They were gifted with what is known as the gift of tongues. I think it's better to, to phrase that. I think one of the great misunderstandings of tongues is that it is the gift of languages. What would happen that day was that all of the disciples were given the ability to be able to preach in languages they don't know. People were now able to hear the gospel in their own native tongue, and that's why 3,000 people got saved that day, because the ministry of the Holy Spirit came on, entered into the disciples, and supernaturally gifted them in a way that they would be able to, to, be able to preach the gospel. The ministry of the Holy Spirit as seen at Pentecost and throughout the New Testament 
is not a ministry so that people would have all their wants and desires come true. It is a ministry of a counselor and a comforter that teaches us in the obedience and in the word of God so that the gospel will be furthered and Christ will be magnified. There is something inherently wrong with a doctrine that teaches that the role of the Holy Spirit is to somehow enhance the life of the individual, not his main role to magnify Christ. And so when we, when we grasp that, we, we understand this word counselor, or, or in some translations, this word comforter. So what does that term comforter mean? To say, I have the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you're saved, and we, we said this Sunday, I'll say it again. If you're saved, truly redeemed, born again, justified, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, why do some believers struggle with believing they have the presence of the Holy Spirit? John 14, what does Jesus say? You are going to obey me and you're going to listen to my words. If you live in direct disobedience to the word of God, you quench the Holy Spirit in your life. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin and you don't listen to him, now their relationship is separated. That does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not in the life of a believer. It believes that it helps us to understand that when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, the Holy Spirit has many roles. But the first we see is that he is a comforter, a helper, an advocate. He encourages us, supports us, assists us, cares for us, shoulders the responsibility. So what we now know is, is that when all throughout the Bible, when Jesus tells us, even in the Old Testament, God made the promise that he would not leave them nor forsake them. What we know now in the new covenant, and one of the reasons that the new covenant is a better covenant than the old covenant, is that when Jesus tells us, my peace I leave with you, that the counselor, the comforter, the advocate is going to come, is that now we have the presence of God not only in an omnipresent way that he is everywhere, but actually inside our individual lives as a guide and a helper and a friend to teach us and to remind us of these things. You've, every one of you have seen that in your life. How many of you that are true believers, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've ever experienced conviction of sin? I had a fantastic conversation with someone today. And that's exactly, that's all we talked about is how heavy a burden the conviction of sin is that it falls on your life and you recognize that I can't go any further because of the conviction. Conviction is the Holy Spirit in your life. Have you ever in your life had a peace that you couldn't explain? Have you ever been going through something and going, I don't know how to explain this. It's not that the situation's okay, but I'm okay. Uh, you're not that strong. You're not that able emotionally. You're not that bright. None of us are. That's not an indictment on your personhood. That is the beauty of the fact that there have been so many times in my life where I've been with people that were struggling when I personally was struggling that, that I almost at times my lack of faith has been exhibited. And sometimes I'll wonder, I, and we say this sometimes, well, I don't know how I got through that. You ought to know. You ought to know. The reason that you got through it is because there's a comforter, a counselor, an advocate that, that is with you. And, and we understand that. Have you ever, when he says, when Jesus said he's going to not only teach you, but he's going to remind you of things. 
Have you ever in your life had an experience where immediately in the moment you thought about either a Bible story or a Bible passage or a scripture and it guided you in that moment? Either it kept you from doing something or it encouraged you to do something or it gave you wisdom to make a decision. Has that ever happened? That's the Holy Spirit. What about this? Have you ever read the Bible or listened to a sermon and understood something? A biblical theological doctrinal principle. Have you ever understood anything reading the Bible or listening to a sermon? The reason that you understand the gospel is because of the Holy Spirit. Before you're even saved, the Holy Spirit had to do work in your life. You actually had that that had to happen to even make you desire or want the things of God. So the word comforter or counselor. That, that's a, a big word. It has a lot of denotation and connotation. We understand all that's around it. So what is the relationship then between the Spirit's work and Christ's work? Um, what we know then is that the Holy Spirit, the role that the Holy Spirit has now is just as important as Christ's work when he was on earth. The reason we know that is because Jesus said, when I leave, God is going to send another that is going to be with you. Even though you're not going to see me anymore, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. And so what we know is, is that the work of the Holy Spirit, um, th this is above all denominational lines, that no church exists, no individual Christian exists outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. So, it's fascinating to me, though, that some people think that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, one of the errors in teaching that I, that I hear often about the Holy Spirit, is that the development of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit did not come about until the early church. That there was no doctrine of the Holy Spirit until you get to the new covenant. That is ridiculous. You do not get out of Genesis 1 and the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Trinity is taught all the way through. It's why in John 1, when we talked about last week, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit all engaged, and now the Holy Spirit's role is a very intimate role in, in the relationship with the believer. So I went through this just a moment ago, but if you're taking notes, number six, the relationship between the members of the Trinity. So the Son is subject to the Father. The Spirit is subject to the Father. And the Spirit is also subject to the Son. Now, here's where I think most people can struggle with this. How are three members of the Trinity equal yet members of the trinity are in submission to each other how does that work i don't know now i'm gonna give you a little bit better description than that but what i know is that it's very clear is jesus god yes did jesus submit to the father yes absolutely all throughout Scripture, Gethsemane, every step of the way, he is doing his Father's will, not my will, but thine. I am submitting to the Father, the role of the Holy Spirit in understanding that. So 
The reason I think that's important is not that we shouldn't desire the role of the Holy Spirit. You can even pray using the Holy Spirit's name. But what happens is if the Holy Spirit gets supplanted, in other words, the Holy Spirit takes preeminence, then what's happened is we've created idolatry because the Holy Spirit understands his own role to be that, to be submitting to the Father and the Son and magnifying the Father and the Son. So if we magnify the role of the Holy Spirit over that of the Father and the Son, we're going to get a completely unbiblical trinity and a complete misunderstanding, which is often what happens in charismatic circles with the doctrine of the trinity, because we get to where we hear so much about spiritual giftings, and especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit's role or the Holy Ghost's role, that the, that the greatest thing that is sought after is what are known as the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether that be the, the, the supernatural gift of healing or the supernatural gift of tongues and, and however someone defines that. But what's so fascinating about that is that all the Bible tells us to do is to focus on our relationship with God and that God will then in turn provide the giftings. So let's just take tongues, for instance, because we talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Everybody's heard of baptism. And we talked about Sunday, if you are saved, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are people that have fundamental disagreements with me on the doctrine of, of tongues. I believe wholeheartedly that understanding tongues is languages. And what I mean by that is that there is the gift of tongues. But what the gift of tongues is, is somebody being supernaturally gifted to speak a language that they don't know so that the gospel can be preached, not what is known as ecstatic utterance or um, an unknown language that no one knows. So, but let's just say, let's just say, if you're not sure about that, that's okay. Maybe you're like, well, I don't know if I'm with him on that. Okay, let's, let's not go there right now. Let's go here. Let's say it's whatever that Pentecostal and charismatic theology says tongues is. Let's just say that it is. If it's that, the Bible tells us really clearly that that is a lesser gift. The Bible also tells us that not everyone is going to have every spiritual gift. The Bible even tells us not to pray for that. So what I'm telling you is when you elevate the gift above the giver, you've misunderstood the Trinity. Whatever you believe it to be, it is not what some often place it to be because it can't be an authentication of your salvation if everyone that's saved isn't going to have it. And the Bible's clear, not everyone that's saved is going to have that gift. You're not going to have every gift. Not everybody has any of all of the gifts. That's foundational to New Testament theology because the Bible is the body of Christ. What does that mean? That some person has to be the hand and somebody's got to be the foot and somebody's got to be the eye and somebody's got to be the ear. So we all are supernaturally gifted differently and I'm thankful for that. I am so thankful that there are people that are good at things that I'm not good at. Because if everybody at this church only had the gifts that I was good at, number one, y'all wouldn't need me to preach and a lot of other things would fall apart. Why? Because we each are given different gifts for a reason, which is one of the reasons you were assigned by the Holy Spirit to be here. 
I think people miss that point of the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit is another reason we misunderstand church, the, the active role of church on purpose, because most people now, how do they understand church? They understand that I'm going to find a place that meets my needs. Now, there's nothing. I think you should look for a place where the Bible is preached, that God is worshiped and honored. Absolutely. But the fundamental reason that someone should be is also because you understand that God has called you there and you have a gifting that the church needs. I tell people all the time when they come here, you didn't come here by accident. Uh, you came here because you have something that our church needs to be a complete body. Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know that I do either. But that's part of what we find out, and that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit in understanding the Holy Spirit's gifting. So one question that, that, that comes out in this chapter is, why without the Holy Spirit would there be no gospel and no New Testament. Well, first of all, it empowered the early church witness. Acts 1.8, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses, you'll be my martyros into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So without the Holy Spirit, you don't have any of the movement in the early church, any of the salvations that take place. The church never gets off the ground. Number two, one of the reasons you would have no gospel and no New Testament is you wouldn't have you wouldn't have the 27 books of the New Testament. You also wouldn't have the 39 books of the Old Testament, by the way. The entire Bible is predicated on that it is inspired, and it is inspired through the inspiration of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we know that. And then John 16, if you just flip over one, one page in your Bible, and you look at John 16, verse 8, it says this, when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel because there would be no salvation. And there could be no salvation without conviction of sin. There's no conviction of sin without the role of the Holy Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel. There would be no New Testament. And so therefore, there would be no Christians impossible outside of the role of the Holy Spirit. So how do we personally then, how do we honor the Holy Spirit in our faith? How do we honor the Holy Spirit in our life? How do we honor the Holy Spirit in our witness? Um, number one, we recognize and rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. We recognize and rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it is that some of us do need to be more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life and that we recognize and rely on His work. Number two, we honor the Holy Spirit in our faith and in obedience to the Word. If I believe that the Bible is inspired, how was the Bible inspired? Oh, I promise you, I know some of you, you just ate chicken fingers and, and, and you're, you're full of macaroni and cheese and pecan pie, and it's getting late and it's already turning dark outside, so this is really, really, but, but just hang with me. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. But watch this. When we understand that the Bible is inspired, how was the Bible inspired? I get this, this question a lot. Do we believe that the Bible was inspired by mechanical dictation? Now, what that means is, like, if you, if you think of a secretary and somebody say, type this, and everything that they said, that they type this. There are people that believe that. I think that you're hard-pressed to believe that. And the reason I think you're hard-pressed to believe that is because it's very obvious 
when you study different books that they have that there's different personality that there's different writing styles from the old testament to the new testament it's very obvious that when you read peter's works you're not reading paul's works it's very obvious when you read john that you're not reading romans there there's it, it's obvious so we know that individual personalities came out so when, when if you want a big five dollar term see when you leave out of wednesday night church you can say well, what did y'all talk about at church and somebody will say whatever they talked about you can say we talked about the plenary verbal theory of inspiration what does that mean that means that we do believe that the Holy Spirit inspired every word, but that the Holy Spirit inspired every word through the personalities of the human writers. I think that it's obvious when we see that. But if I do believe that the Holy Spirit inspired John, we're reading Colossians and preaching through Colossians. If I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, that ought to change the way I approach the Gospels because I believe this book is very, very different than knowing God. I believe it's different than Webster's Dictionary. I believe it's different than every other book in the world because of its inspiration. But then also, if we honor the Holy Spirit, it ought to change the way we witness. Um, mentioned to you guys, y'all, you, you got to hear a couple of weeks ago about our trip to Africa. I, I mentioned to you a little while ago about ever having an event in your life where you recognize, have you ever had one of those conversations where you stepped away and you went, I don't know where that came from. Like you gave people advice or you said something and you look back on it and go, I've never even really even had that thought specifically. That's never come in my mind. I've never done, had that before. Or you walked up to somebody and if I'd asked you before it happened, if you would have shared what you shared with them, you'd have said, no way. But somehow in the moment, the Lord did something and empowered you to be able to have that conversation. What I'm telling you is if we believe that the Holy Spirit empowers us, then in our witness, you are not doing it alone. You are not witnessing alone. You don't have to have the entire Bible memorized. You don't have to know every answer to every objection. You just share what God's done in your life. You do know Scripture. You do understand the gospel. And when we talk to people, we don't have to be, you don't have to be the greatest apologist that ever, ever lived. You just have to be able to declare the works of Christ. And when we do that, it honors the Lord and the Lord empowers it. We need to quit being so scared to witness because you're not doing that on your own anyway. Even if your objection is true that you don't know a lot, that you're not an eloquent speaker, that you're not bold, that you're shy, all of that's great but it doesn't stand up to the fact that you have the Holy Spirit. That absolutely trumps everything else in your life. So it emboldens us to be able to speak for the Lord. So I pray this week that not only would you rely on the Holy Spirit in your study of the Word, that you'd rely on Him in your witness, and that you would feel the comfort, the counseling guidance of that helper, that paraclete that walks alongside us, who is the third member of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we bow before you now, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. Lord, that you indwell our life. We thank you for that because you are such a wonderful God that you guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are fear no evil for you are with us. Lord, we're thankful that you do. You comfort us. 
Lord, you make a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You even would anoint our heads with oil. Oh, God, my cup runs over. God, I'm positive that my life is the walking testimony that goodness and love have followed and pursued me all of the days of my life. And I'm thankful, God, that because of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, that there's one thing I'm sure of, that I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad that you are here tonight. I'm so thankful. We got some big events coming up. As you know, um, they're free, but get you get some tickets for either 4 o'clock or 7 o'clock for our worship celebration this coming Sunday. It's going to be at the college. Um, got a mass choirs coming together, so we're looking forward to that. The following week, uh, that Sunday night, we're going to be outside. We're going to be having a blast. We've got our fall fest. It's going to be down uh, on, the, on the other side by the basketball courts. You want to be here for that. Bring children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, all of those to come and be a part of that. And then on November 5th, be sure to pick up your tickets. We, there are some in the foyer. Uh, if you would like to buy some, they're $5 a piece for our men's sportsman's banquet that is going to be um, on first Sunday in November. So there's a few things coming up. If I were you, if I were you, I wouldn't miss this coming Sunday. I'd be here. I can't figure out why anybody would want to miss. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the preacher. I love it here. Like, I genuinely, I love it here. This is the greatest, this is the best place to be. I thought about y'all last night because I'm watching that abysmal football game and having negative thoughts. And I thought, man, people get so fired up. And this isn't, this isn't anything negative about USM or fired up about going to Oxford and Starkville or Hattiesburg or Tuscaloosa or wherever it is, I can promise you, I can promise you, I have no idea what Ole Miss is going to do this weekend. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen to State. But what I'm positive of is that Jesus Christ is risen, and so because of that, it's going to be good here. So I'd be here if I were you. Y'all have a great week. Uh, uh,